The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. All right. Um, we have been seeing an increase in active COVID-19 cases in the province over the past few weeks. But this week, the daily numbers are in the 200s. Yesterday, 276 new cases were identified from uh, more than 17,000 tests. Right now, there are 1,900 active cases in Alberta, 1,063 of them in Edmonton. And that has public health officials talking about what may need to be done to get those numbers down again. We're having those discussions with the city and with local public health officials right now, so we haven't landed on any particular measures. What we need to do is look at the data, particularly again with this increase over the weekend with this sudden surge in cases. I do want to emphasize a point that I've made before, which is that the new cases that we're seeing right now are a reflection of transmission events that happened one to two weeks ago. So we should expect, no matter what changes we may or may not choose to make in the coming days to weeks, uh, we will see increased transmission over the next one to two weeks, which is a product, again, of past events. So we will see, sorry, I should say we will see, likely see high numbers of cases over the next one to two weeks, which is a product of past transmission. And so we're looking at those transmission patterns to help us understand what would be most effective and if there are other changes that we need to make to our framework to prevent Edmonton from continuing to have increasing numbers of new cases. So we know that Alberta Health is looking closely at, you know, what the factors are driving the spread. We know uh, Dr. Hinshaw has said um, that uh, a lot of it is coming from, you know, private get-togethers, from private functions, from parties and and people getting together and not following the rules and and the regulations that have been suggested. So we heard uh, the health minister, Tyler Shandro, talk uh, during the 2.30 newscast um, about the fact that they are in close contact with the, the municipalities and are, are, are deciding, you know, what should be recommended moving forward. Uh, those details still being finalized. Uh, we're expected to hear more tomorrow uh, from Dr. Hinshaw at her media avail- availability at 3.30. Uh, but uh, Minister Shandro saying that uh, we want to, you know, put out some more of those voluntary measures that people people, uh, you know, will likely or should be following. So we know that no one wants to return to tougher restrictions like we had earlier this year, gosh, for many different reasons. But is this a second wave? What exactly does that mean? And and what can we do about it? Well, talk about good timing, my friends. The first couple episodes of uh, season two of the Super Awesome Science Show have dropped and it tackles those questions and more. The host of the show, microbiologist and author of The Germ Code and The Germ Files, Jason Tetro joins us this afternoon. Hello, my friend. Hello there. <laughs> You've only been up from, what, at 4 o'clock this morning? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone sees press junkets with, like, the you know, the celebrities and stars. I don't have my own personal makeup person, so <laughs> I'm glad this is radio. <laughs> You don't need a, a makeup person. All right. So you know what, Jason, we've we've seen, um, and I want to get into the fact uh, about, you know, season two, because it's talking about some of the things that are, are exactly what people are asking about right now. But when you look at those numbers that we've seen, especially over the past week or so, week and a half, we're seeing the numbers up 200, 250, 270, 276 yesterday of uh, diagnosed new uh, cases in the province. Um, 
Dr. Hinshaw has alluded to the fact that there hasn't been a huge amount of community transmission that she believes a lot of this stems from, you know, private functions and from parties and, and get togethers. Are we seeing, you know, obviously people letting their guards down when they're at home? Yeah. And, and if you go back a couple of weeks, uh, I don't know if you remember this, it was bloody cold. <laughs> Like, you couldn't go outside and have fun with your friends because it was just freezing outside. So, of course, what ends up happening is when people get together, they can't stay out on a patio or stay out in the, in the park or anything. So they're going to go and, you know, have fun indoors where it's warmer. And that's basically one of the aspects of, of what we're seeing. Now, it's not just temperature alone. If you look at the people in terms of the age groups, we're seeing that 20 to 40 continue to be uh, creating the, the, the majority of those cases. Now, what's very interesting is that normally what ends up happening is these people act as a nucleus to then infect other age groups, other age categories. We're not seeing this. So it's really the people who are uh, independently living on their own with other people of their own age group that we're really seeing this type of spread. And that's where the idea of the house parties and, you know, the get-togethers and everything like that come into play. So all the numbers are basically suggesting that, yes, indeed, we've got one age group that is continuing to not follow the ABCs of COVID prevention. And as a result, we've got this sustained numbers that are happening from day to day to day. We uh, we hear about second wave, and I think depending on where you live in the country, the, the second wave might be underway or not. When it comes to second wave, and, and this is really cool because in uh, episode one and two, you were talking about this and about the science behind it. Can you give us an idea, you know, what exactly a second wave looks like and, and what it means yeah, so when you talk about a second wave, okay, by the way, the reason that we put it at this time for this particular show is because the pandemic timeline is pretty much consistent for COVID as it would be for any other pandemic. So we figured, eh, we're going to hear about <laughs> the second wave in the first week of October. Surprise. Um, yeah. The thing is that when you have a second wave, what that is really referring to is the population that hadn't been exposed starts to get exposed in high numbers through community spread. And that just explodes. We are not seeing that right now. We're still only seeing about a 1% exposure when it comes to the, the, the community and the population. We can trace the majority of what we're seeing in terms of spread. This is a surge, absolutely. But this is not what one would consider to be a wave. And remember, when you have that second wave, that's when you start getting towards herd immunity. And the reason we want to avoid a second wave is because that is, again, going to overwhelm our healthcare system, including our ICUs. That's one of the reasons why we want to try and keep the curve flat until we have a vaccine so that the vaccine can come in, give us that herd immunity without having any impact on our healthcare. That's basically all we're talking about when it comes to the second wave. And thankfully, well, based on the data, we're not there. So when you say we're not there, are you talking Alberta or yeah, are you Alberta. talking about Canada? Well, for the most part, Alberta, um, because um, when you look at the numbers and how the curves are, are, are progressing, it's, it's definitely not a wave here. Now, there are other places where um, we could be seeing this kind of wave happening. Uh, one of the biggest places, of course, is the United States, where they're fully into it in many places. 
but Ontario and Quebec themselves are kind of on that verge because if all of a sudden that explosion that they're seeing where they're you know getting closer to a thousand cases on a day with the two provinces then you're starting to see massive spread happening within the community and that's when you're starting to um, sort of look at how that herd population is going to be in, uh, you know infected but also remember in order for this virus to have sort of no impact whatsoever you need about 60 to 70 percent of the population to have some kind of immunity which is what we talk about in the show interesting stuff you also talk in the show about um mission accomplished syndrome and i think that maybe we're in that i think a lot of people said hey earlier this year we flattened that curve we did our job now let's get on with it you want to expand on that yeah absolutely so when we were talking about flattening the curve or, or you know or crushing the curve or whatever you want to call it with the curve the whole idea was to use the lockdown use the isolation in such a way that we essentially attempted to eliminate the virus or stamp it out, as we like to say. Now, if we had done that, much like they have done in New Zealand, then we wouldn't have any cases, and there would be essentially a clear zone where we could then say, okay, we got rid of it. Now, we didn't reach that. We never got to a point where we essentially had no virus in Alberta. So, what we ended up doing was saying we won, we did a great job, but we actually didn't. All we did was we lowered it to a level that was kind of, you know, we, we weren't paying attention to it as much anymore. But then, as now we're seeing, it's made a comeback, and we're returning back to where we were at the beginning of March, heading into April. But we're smarter now. Okay, so that's the other thing about mission accomplished syndrome is that while we may not necessarily have completed the mission, we're a heck of a lot smarter in how we can approach it so that we don't have to go through lockdowns and isolations. And instead, we can follow those ABCs, masking for airway protection, barrier protection when you're in the grocery store, keep into your bubbles and knowing who your contacts are so that you can do the tracing. Are we really smarter, though, Jason? I mean, I think we might be more skeptical. I, I just have to look at my text line to say, oh, here we go again, right? I mean, I, I think that some people have automatically, you know, they throw on their mask off, they go, mm-hmm. they do what they're supposed to do. But um, there are a lot of people out there as well that who are even more skeptical than they were six months ago. That has to do with the messaging. And, and I mean, you can understand that we had a certain type of messaging in the first few months, and then the messaging changed, and then it changed again. And as I said before numerous times, the science doesn't change. What ends up changing is how um, the population reacts to the science. And at the very beginning, we couldn't really rely on masks. We just didn't have the capacity or the number, and most people just didn't know how to use masks properly. So we couldn't really recommend that. Now we're in a situation where everybody knows what a mask is for, how to use a mask, how to essentially keep themselves safe. So we can probably avoid those lockdowns by essentially having mandatory masking like we do in this city, okay? Um, Does physical distancing have to be in place? Well, yeah, it's always good to have the physical distancing, especially, you know, if you're not having a mask. But you start adding all these protective layers on top and on top and on top, and before you know it, you have a very safe community. Um, I, I think that is what I mean by we're smarter in the sense that we know how to do it. Convincing people that they have to do it, well... I mean, that's a totally different story, and I think every one of us can agree that there are going to be people who essentially are going to say, "Mm, no, not for me. 
And yeah. we, we know from other diseases, other pandemics of the past, we're going to see people who do un, what we call intentional unsafe behavior, IEB, and when they do that, they're going to maintain the uh, sort of the numbers of the virus and kind of ruining it for the rest of us. Okay, so season two of the Super Awesome Science Show has uh, is underway. The first two episodes have dropped, and um, they are, number one, the COVID-19 second wave, and the COVID second wave questions and answers. The host of the Super Awesome Science Show, Jason Tetro, microbiologist, the germ guy, joining us uh, this afternoon. Before the break, I was asking you, or I mentioned that I wanted to get to this point. There's a lot of comparison between um, COVID and SARS and and MERS from, you know, what, 15, 18 years ago. People saying that the second wave there just kind of disappeared. It didn't really happen. Is it is it a can you can you compare the three? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, so when it comes to SARS, the one that we saw in 2003, which is a very, very close relative of this particular one, COVID-19, um, we stamped it out. Now, there was actually a second wave in China. We just don't know about it because they don't really talk about it. But it was a pretty nasty one. And so the fact is that it, too, did go through its own second wave. It's just that here in Canada, with Bonnie Henry in charge, they stamped it out before it could actually get to a point where it would second wave it. Now, when it comes to the MERS, it's really, we know the animal that it comes from, camels. And we, what we've also known is that the majority of cases that we see happen to be human-to-human spread. I was actually in Saudi Arabia during the first wave of, Mar- of MERS, and um, it was kind of sad to see how uh, there was a type of spread that was happening that you would not have expected uh, within the healthcare environment. That's why we saw that huge explosion. What ended up happening was eventually the virus escaped from the healthcare facilities into the community. And started to create problems but again it got stamped out and part of that was because unlike covid and and sars this thing was killing about one-third of every person it attacked so it was kind of a nasty bug that we were easily able to stamp out what's really interesting is that mers comes back on a year-to-year basis sars disappeared completely and now covid19 the sars cov2 is probably going to do the same type of circulating as we see with the flu okay yeah and you know now we now we have covid and flu at the same time and how mm-hmm. how are they going to circulate in the population together well one thing that we find is sometimes certain viruses cannot co-circulate with influenza. And as a result, one or the other um, essentially take over. We do see this a little bit with influenza virus and something called RSV, respiratory syncytial virus. Is it the same with a coronavirus and the flu? There's indications that there are similarities and that maybe we won't have as bad of a flu season because COVID is circulating. But by the same respect, we also know that when flu does grab a hold, it infects a huge percentage of the community, whereas with COVID, it's only affecting a very small percentage. Now, does that mean that you know, flu is going to go rampant. It may not because of the measures we're taking to prevent COVID spread. It's, you know, flu is still a respiratory virus.
Jason, I want to ask you about about treatment. It doesn't seem that we're any you know farther ahead when it comes to treatment. We mm-hmm. saw when uh, the president uh, was was diagnosed um, immediately given remdesivir, um, that uh, antibody cocktail from Regeneron. He's mm-hmm. on some steroids as well. Should we be attacking? I mean, when when it comes to therapeutics, when it comes to treating this, have we learned anything? Should we be attacking this and doing things differently on that front? Yeah, so if you happen to be asymptomatic, you don't need to really do anything. If you happen to have some of the more general, milder symptoms, then over-the-counter medications, vitamin Ds, possibly some vitamin C, and uh, you know that, that, that in itself is going to be good, and of course rest, right? Uh, isolation and rest. If you get to a moderate stage where you are having that trouble breathing, you're gasping for air, that's when we start looking at what other types of treatments can be used. And we are still in the experimental phase for many of them, but what we can say is that some of them have been showing better results at certain phases. So there are some that you give to people who are in moderate phase, there are some that you give to people in severe and and some that you give to critical. And right now what's happening is that all three are getting all jumbled up in one person. And so everybody is kind of like, well, what are we going to do about this? Because quite honestly, unless you're a severe case, you shouldn't be taking dex, uh, dexamethasone. Um, you, you know, th- these are the types of things where what we're seeing for this one person is kind of messing up all of the indications and contraindications that we have for all the treatments at this point. I've got a minute left with you, Jason. When when is a pandemic over? Uh, when the World Health Organization says so, and I hate to say it, but that really is the case. Um, when you have uh, enough of a herd immunity within a population that the virus can no longer circulate and cause a massive uh, infringement on uh, health care and, and you know, creating a, a large number of deaths or excess deaths, as we like to call it, that's usually when a pandemic is over. Um, we normally had to wait until it burned through a community, but now with a vaccine or many vaccines coming down the pipeline, I think that we're going to get to a point where we're going to see the end of this probably by around August or September of next year, at least according to the pandemic timeline. Does that mean a return to normal, do you think? It's going to be a return to a general kind of normal. We're still going to be smarter. So I think we're going to see more people in airports with masks on instead of scarves, as I've been promoting for 10 years. I think we're going to see more use of hand sanitizers, disinfectants. And I think people may still be a little bit more um, worried when they happen to come into contact or around somebody who's, you know, sniffing or, or coughing without, you know, covering up. So we're going to be smarter. in in the new normal but by the same respect we are going to get back to what we consider to be you know regular good old-fashioned every day well you can subscribe to the award-winning uh super awesome science show that uh, jason tetro is behind on apple podcasts google podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts jason congratulations on the season two look forward to uh, talking to you some more thank you so much airborne next week we're going to have a lot of fun with that one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Great. Jason Tetro joining us this afternoon, microbiologist, host of the Super Awesome Science Show, author of The Germ Code, The Germ Files. You know him as the germ guy.